Welcome to the She Will Shine podcast, where we bring you the real stories of female business owners. My name is Danielle Price and I'm the founder of She Will Shine, a supportive business network for women. It's time to give a voice to women in business and discover their journey. Hi everyone and welcome to the She Will Shine podcast. We would first like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the country on which we record this podcast, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we recognise their continuing connection to the land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Thank you everyone for joining us today. We have Karen Luck with us today. How are you, Karen? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Danielle? Good, thank you. Thank you for being here. Karen Luck practices in Wilson Estate as well as family law at TBA Law. She's especially passionate about helping people who are going through grief or separation and life as they know it is no longer the same. She supports them through the personal difficulties and is by their side during this challenging time. Karen, that sounds like a lot of responsibility in that job. Uh, Yeah, I'd say it's emotionally, uh, takes a lot of emotion out of me sometimes. Um, in addition to the legal side of things. So I, I guess I often wear the hat of trying to solve problems, but it's also um, requiring requiring me to pull on that human element of it and having sensitivity to, to things that people are going through. And it's not just about the dollar figures and the practical solutions, but it's also helping people through a really emotional journey, helping them through letting go, um, grief, trauma, um, and I actually think, although it's challenging, it's it's probably one of the most rewarding aspects that we I know that I've held their hand for a short period through something that was really difficult in their life that people may not have to deal with more than once, but it's really changes, yeah, just changes their life as they know it. They're struggling to find their own feet again and have the new, you know, find a new place to live sometimes, change their jobs, relocation. It's just good to see clients come off come out really better afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that would be really um, satisfying in a way, you know, yes. that you've helped yeah, them move on, work, yeah. move on and move forward. Now, Karen, did you always want to be a lawyer when you're in, in high school, especially did you think to yourself, this is what I want? So in high school, I went um, to John Monash Shine School in its inaugural year. So uh, Monash University in Melbourne um, opened up uh, a high school that was a specialist high school where they focused on maths and science, as the name suggests. So when I started there in year 10, in the first year the school was open, I was really passionate about science. I thought I'd be a marine biologist <laughs> or some something involved in biomedicine. biomedicine. Like I, I, I think I, the part of it that appealed to me was the analytical side, which yeah. I don't think I've lost necessarily in my job now you know, reviewing financial statements, uh, trying to make arguments, legal arguments. It's still, I think, tapping into a strength that I thought I had, I knew I had in, in high school. But one of the main things I think that made me reconsider, well, what would my career look like is I think in high school, I was only focused on interests. I was only focused on, oh, well, what do I like to do? <laughs> That's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I love doing the experiments. I love doing chemistry and mixing the things together. I think the unique opportunity of that school was that we had a lot of lecturers come over from Monash University that would tell us about what their career was like. They would tell us about the research they were studying. And I think that's when it kind of came in, 
to focus what a career in in science would look like not just you know just mix things all day in test experiments yeah yeah have experiments <laughs> what it would actually involve to have a career in in this in in this area um a lot of them told me the reality of it is that it's a lot really dependent on funding yeah. so they try really hard to constantly convince people that their research is very important. And then there's also other really important research out there that it's a lot of commitment and dedication for, we're talking decades, that you're researching one receptor on one cell and seeing how one drug interacts with it for a very, very long amount of time. Yes. And I don't think, and I think I enjoyed science, but I don't think I had one particular area or one particular thing that I was dedicated to if that makes yeah, sense. completely makes, passionate about yeah, yeah completely passionate about yeah. that made me crazy that made me you know not want to sleep at night made me you know want to go hounding down people to get you know to get funding to convince them that you know it was really important and then I thought actually my English isn't that bad so that's how I ended up I went to uni and I, I did law I really liked reading literature but I didn't think that was actually a career <laughs> I didn't think it was a career <laughs> to read books so I was like oh well maybe law wouldn't be um would be an interesting thing to have a look into and then I also majored in English so I did a law and arts degree I was was in Victoria and then I ended up moving to Canberra so I studied at the Australian National University yeah, as I said, I did a Bachelor of Law with Honours and then also a Bachelor of Arts major in English. So I felt like I still, I got a balance. Like it wasn't just, you know, reading cases, black and white, but it was yeah. also a lot about reading between the lines when you're reading books and images and symbols and, you know, what are people's emotions. So I actually thought it was a good balance throughout the six years I was at uni. So did you move to Canberra for the uni? Yes, I did, yes. yes. So did you move on your own? I did. I, I moved on my, I was 18 at the time. I think I was naive thinking um, it would be easy. <laughs> I didn't know anyone, to be honest. I'd never been to Canberra. Actually, no, I went to Canberra a year before, but I'd never actually like lived there for a yeah. long period of time. But I, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it was, it felt a little bit like the country because I'd only grown up in suburban Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and I think I enjoyed the space in Canberra that there was, all the amenities of a city, shopping centres, you know, shops and things like that. Um, and you've got festivals and events as part of being in the nation's capital, but also that um, when you're driving around, you see a lot of bush and just, I think also the urban planning is a lot better in, in Canberra. Yeah. There's less traffic. But yeah, when I was in Canberra, I mostly rode around on my bike, got to uni, rode to the shops. So I think I started discovering who I was as an adult. And a yes. lot, I think there was a lot of lot, like growing up that happened as soon as I moved out of A hundred percent. Well, that you would have had to, you don't, yes. you don't have anyone to rely on. Yeah. You only got yourself. Yeah. Did you have a part-time job or anything while you were up there? No, I, I, I kept pretty breezy just with studying the, the two degrees. Um, so no, I didn't have a part-time job, but then partway through my degree, I went on exchange to the University of Hong Kong and that was, I think, a really full circle moment for me because that's where I'm from. Um, so I was born in Hong Kong. That's where my family's background is. Um, and then I moved to Australia when I was two. So I don't have any memory of being a baby oh, okay. in yes. Hong Kong. Do you have um, family I, still there? Yeah, I do. So I've got a lot of extended family, cousins, aunts, uncles still there. And um, my 
like I always, when I go visit them for holidays, I always thought, oh, what would, I, what would my life have been like if I grew up here, if I did school here, um, if I like, you know, grew up alongside my cousins. Um, so I thought, oh, well, maybe I could work here after I graduate from, you know, law and arts. So I went for six months and did a semester there. And then also part of that, I did some work experience at um, at like a barrister's chamber, at a solicitor's office. So I kind of, at that point, I got some experience what would like being in law look like after yeah. I graduate. And I don't think I've ever learnt so much in such a short amount of time. Isn't it funny? I remember graduating, so I'm from a graphic design background, mm. and I remember graduating and then getting to the job like, oh, my gosh, I know nothing. You know what I mean? Like the first day you sit there going, mm. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I feel like I'm being just thrown in the deep end. It's like what I've learned is all well and good, but once you get there, it was really eye-opening. Yeah, um, and I think I also saw the physical side of the work as well. So, what would it practically look like to be a lawyer? Studying law, most I'm going to say, I think I speak on behalf of most law students. Studying law involves a lot of sitting at a desk and reading. <laughs> yeah, it's not a very active role. But when I, um, you know, was an intern for a solicitor in Hong Kong, there was, it was very physical and very long hours. So she was running between court and the office, um, getting in and out of taxis, going to offices, signing contracts and rushing them back to another. Like it, it was actually not, not as calm as I thought the job would be. <laughs> um, it was a lot of trying to uh, multitask time management it wasn't something like oh well I'm just going to go have a snack and finish reading this case later yeah actually a lot is a lot of time pressure for things um and running around did that scare Um, you at the time uh no I think it was because I was younger I say it like I'm really old now but I think that (laughs) at the time I think I was probably about 19 20 or something so I thought that oh this is so exciting like oh my god it's like real life judge duty (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was um it was just the adrenaline I think made it really and it was new to me yeah but then afterwards when I came back to Australia so that that stopped I actually felt exhausted after like I don't know if you've ever it's kind of like going to a theme park with your children and then when you get home it you I know that feeling it's taken every bit of energy out of you yeah I I know that feeling well (laughs) but then when you're actually there you're excited about it you're like let's do this and let's go to here and let's yeah and I felt that while I was like, wow, imagine if this was my life like every day. And it was also really long hours. So it started at about eight or nine, but the finishing time was probably, I'd say, undetermined because it was a lot of networking in between. So it's, it's I saw really how it intersected with your personal life. It, it was yeah. actually not a lot of distinction, to be honest. It, it just after five, you'd still be you know, going to networking or having dinners with um, people that you want to bring on as clients and things like that. So I was like, oh, I don't know. Some nights I, I like was taking the train home at nine or 10 o'clock and then I'd be up again the next morning going to work and they'd come in sometime for a half day on Saturday. Wow. Very yeah. work-centric life. Yeah. yeah, very work-centric. So then you came back. Yeah, I did. To, I came did back, you come back to Canberra or back to Melbourne? I came back to Canberra. I finished off my yeah. degree. It was only about a year and a half at that point. Um, and then during that time, I actually met my partner who, yeah, and he was studying engineering, so we're very different in our interests. 
Um, and I finished my degree in about a year and a half. He still had a little bit to go. So I moved back to Melbourne because that's where my family's from and just find my first job in law. Um, and then he was lucky enough to transfer to Monash University. So then we started, um, yeah, building our lives in Melbourne. He finished off his degree not not long after. Then we were just little fledgling little birds just coming yeah. in, flying out awesome. of the world. <laughs> yeah, the world was your oyster. Yeah. So what job did you get when you came home to Melbourne? I actually worked at a really big law firm when I started. I don't, I didn't last long there, to be honest. I think that it was missing that human element. So because it was so big, there were so many departments. So you never really saw the person or had much relationship with the person that was the big boss, so to speak. A lot of it was through chain of command. So it would be someone told this person, the manager, the manager then told the senior solicitor, the senior solicitor then told this person. And there was a lot of just, I think, competitiveness and gossipy. It was almost like school because there were hundreds of us that were in the same group and we were all kind of jostling to get like to shine and to feel up the chain to move up the chain and to feel special and to feel like our work was valued and acknowledged and the work there to be honest was very repetitive so it was I wasn't a solicitor at that point I was just doing document review work it was just looking through legal documents and flagging which ones would be important for a case in the time that I was working there, people came and went all the time. And it was the kind of job that you could do working from home. It was the kind of job you could do without talking to anyone else. So I wasn't there for very long, probably less than a year. And then my next job, I became a, a trainee solicitor or a graduate solicitor. Yeah, it was also just, um, it was in a suburban firm in Melbourne, family business, so probably under under 30 employees. And that's when I only worked in wills and estates. And I think I was very fortunate in all the times in my career when I had a lot of learning and mentoring, that they were all really intelligent and um, ethical women that became yeah. my mentors and took and held my hand through that journey. When I started this um, graduate role, where they trained me up in wills and estates, I worked there for nearly three years. It was I worked under like a wills and estates, and she'd been working as a lawyer for more than thirty years. So I really learned from her every facet of being a lawyer from like the first meeting with the client what they expect from you what's the turnaround time for documents how to make sure like all the little things as well like how to make sure that we get them to come back in to sign their documents because they sometimes might forget and emails how to draft professional emails how to draft professional letters and also how to protect yourself and your firm a little bit because when I went into it I think I was quite naive that people will say, oh, well, just, just send us the documents and I'll pay you after. And I think it's the experience that more senior lawyers give you that like, no, don't do that because they'll never pay you after. <laughs> the first question that I've learned that clients ask you when they come to you, they've got a problem. You know, my neighbours built their fence too close to my water tank. I need you to write a letter to them. I need you to resolve this and push back their fence or something. The first question they're going to ask you is how much is this going to cost? So that was a struggle, probably, I think a question I struggled with as a junior lawyer because you're estimating how much time a problem will take to fix. Yeah. Which I think probably tradies have a, a really good <laughs> Tradies are probably really good at this. They just it's a bit a more problem. black and white in a trade. Yeah, um, yeah maybe. <laughs> maybe. But sometimes I'll, oh, I wish I was a tradie. They just, <laughs> you know, take a look at something, you send them a photo and they're like, yep, that'll take this much to do. It's hard to predict the trajectory of a legal case. It's hard to predict 
the reactions and the steps that other people will take. So you, you could write a letter to their neighbour and the neighbour agrees to move their fence. That's less than $500 worth of work. You could write to the neighbour, they get a solicitor, and then all of a sudden you're having letters back and forth. And then we're talking, you know, maybe more than $1,000 because you're just writing letters back and forth and it's not getting anywhere. You might need to go to mediation. You might have to go to court. So I think that was something I struggled with, that the billing is probably very mathematical. So you just put in your time. There's softwares that just tally up yep. everything. This time times this amount yeah. equals X. Yeah. yeah. But I think that, that that's a skill that every young lawyer probably has to go through is the more experience you have in dealing with problems, then the more you have in the bank, the more you're going to be able to be like, oh, yeah, I've had a similar situation to that. Look, it's going to be this much because that, that was how much it cost last time I had to go to court yeah. or last time I went to VCAT. But for a long time, you feel very uncertain. <laughs> well, it's hard though, right? Because a tradie, okay, I've got to buy timber for this, got to cost me this, you yeah. know what I mean? Like they know that stuff. Yeah. But in law, you're dealing with people. Yeah. And you don't know how people are going to react and whatever's yeah. the things yeah. that, like, it's so grey. It's not black and yeah. white. It's not a flow yeah. chart where this start, finish is like yeah. a straight line. It's like, yeah. okay, start here. If this happens, then turn. You know what I mean? Like, you know how those yeah. flowcharts go? Yes, yeah. think you go this way. No, yeah. go that way. Yeah. So there's so much more um, different avenues and different possibilities that could come from it. Yeah. And I think that's that's actually the really hard part is that um, exactly like you were saying, it's unpredictable. Then how it unfolds, the engagement of other parties is totally unpredictable. And that's probably part of managing the emotions of the client as well. They're obviously in the area of law I've, I'm working in, it, it's it's emotional. It, it, people are going through a very difficult time. It's something they've never experienced before. So for them, it is like a train's hitting them. It's just everything is falling away, their reality. every All of everything's crumbling. Yeah. Um, and they're losing control of things that were that used to be stable in their life, whether it's a person that they used to have contact with their mom, they're used to seeing her, speaking to with her on the phone, and now she's passed away. Or it's the family unit that, you know, you're used to working, coming home, spouse and children are there, but now you're no longer living there or they're no longer living there. And the time you have with your children is uncertain and probably not as changing. much as you want. Yeah. Not yeah. as much as you want. So now you're meeting them at a park or you're only coming over for Sunday breakfast and you're not together the same way that you used, you're used to. So you're managing that because you're trying to explain to them a process that they've never been through before. So you're saying, well, this is what negotiations and this is what reaching a settlement is going to be like. This is how the court decides parenting issues. But then you're also managing, like in terms of billing, they're also concerned about that because they're in yeah. a situation where they're financially un not stable. So things that are unexpected, clients do not react well to. And that's yeah. something that is, is hard because it's the emotional side of it. So, you know, feeling compassion and, and sensitivity that the client's going through something personal with their family, with their loved ones, but also being able to, present to them the likely costs and trying to manage their reaction to that as well. So saying to them, well, this is likely to cost this much. And then I think it's the skill learning, 
one of the I think the different more difficult skills is when the when it gets out of out of control. Like you said, we estimate what the fees will be, but then what happens if something unexpected happens and it takes this turn? It's a it's yeah. a yes instead of a no. Then you're like, well, you know, we were going to try negotiating, but your ex partner is ignoring all our letters, so we're going to have to go to court, and that's going to be an extra X amount of fee. And then the client is reacting to the situation, and you know says, I can't believe this. You don't understand how much money this is costing me. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be homeless. Where am I going to get all this from? But it's really hard not to take that personally. Yeah, of and course. I think that's something that affects the longevity of a career in this area of law, because it, it feels at the time, to be honest, very directed at you. But then over well, time, they're, going, like, they're going through so much turmoil because they've got yeah. emotional turmoil from yeah. a relationship breakdown of whatever yeah. sort. But there's the financial turmoil and they're the two biggest factors, like, you know, emotions and like it's huge. And I'm the one delivering the financial You're the face of it. That's right. And so that part of it is is hard. And that's where I think the emotional side of it, as as myself, my emotional side of it is, is trying to, you know, balance my mental health, that sometimes the things the clients say to you is actually just reacting to the situation. But when I started out, you know, just, being very, I think, naive, innocent, only ever having interactions with people that, you know, they said what they meant. And I never had to, I think, be a representative for a firm or had to really deliver bad news. Like how often when you're a child have you had to be the one to tell someone bad news? Never. So that's a skill that I think if you're really good at it, it'll be a good weapon in your arsenal to have. Yeah. It'll be, yeah, it'll be a good tool to have. Well, it's the human side, isn't it? It's the human yeah. side. And also, you know, like you said, controlling your own, mm. being able to control your own mental well-being, because I can imagine that would have been yeah. really difficult. Um, do you think having those mentors around you helped you with that? Yes. Like yeah, you could turn yeah. to in those sort yeah. of situations? Yeah, because I would, like in my current job with, with TVA Law, our principal solicitor, as Jackie Broman, she's she's yeah. also an expert in wills and estates, um, and here I'm also learning family law and also continuing what I've you know had some experience in 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 Melbourne. When I have difficulties or you know I've just hung up from a client call, and I think I physically you can see me react to it because I hang up and I'm like, like you're just I think the the negative the energy yeah the yeah. weight is just like causing you to almost sink into yourself yeah and I'll just be like oh the client said something to me and it just really affected me and then she'll be like oh what did they say and like they might have said something like well you know you wouldn't know what it feels like because you never had any children and it feels to me very personal it's true I don't have any children at this stage um it feels to me a very personal attack it's but when I speak to other lawyers and I'm like, oh, they said something, like this client said this to me and, I, I, you know, I felt this way. Sharing your experiences with others really helps, I think, as a lawyer. And that was something that I think is what's keeping me in this industry, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, the, the first job where I was just doing document review, it was just me and a computer. Like I didn't really need to interact with anyone. And I think that made me disinterested because yeah. any issues I was having I wasn't able, we weren't really talking to anyone else because they were looking at a different document to you anyway. The point of the job was efficiency. You were Um, kind of in your own little bubble. Yeah, yeah. Just get stuff done in your bubble, yeah. Yeah, but here it's very collaborative. We work as a team, you know, oh, the client said this or I'm in a pickle, like, you know, what do I do if they file this notice? 
and someone else has been through something similar. Oh yeah, I had a case like that. You know, have a look at this file or have a look at, you know, this section of the act. And it's, you feel very, it's almost, it's very collegiate because you're, we're all working to give the client a good experience and to build up a brand so that even though I only work in wills and estates and family law, if someone came, like I did the wills for someone and they came back and said, hey, I'm looking to sell my house, I could say, you know what, I don't work in that area, but trust, because you trust me, you should trust my colleague who's also yeah. really good. And it's that building the client's trust in you so that any referrals you give them, they have confidence that it would be able to solve their problems as well. 100%, and then it's, 100%. it's building the relationships like through She Will Shine where you're meeting other people that are very good at their job and learning what their business is and being able to refer to them when appropriate. That's the thing, right? Because when you make a referral, mm. you know, at the end of the day, that's your that's your call. Yes. So if someone yep. said, oh, well, actually, Karen referred me to Joe Blow down the road yeah. and Joe Blow down the road didn't do a very good job. Yeah. So I don't know if I trust Karen's opinion yeah. about another referral. Yeah. Um, so it's your face and your, yeah. saying, your head on the line. Yeah, you're exactly right, Danielle, that it's like the client's faith in you and it doesn't reflect good, well on you and it can actually undo some of the goodwill that you've developed with the client if, for example, they ring the financial advisor we've referred them to and then they come back and say, oh, Karen, you know that person you referred me to? I rang them three times, they never rang back. And then you look a bit like, oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> this is so unexpected. <laughs> yeah, and I think that balancing back to balancing the mental health I think that having other solicitors in the firm and with more experience than you can help with stabilizing and also helping you see that not take it so personal really I think that's the so you don't yeah. carry it home with you like oh yeah. yeah no I've had a client that said the same thing don't worry about it they after the matter finished they apologized to me they realized that they were acting just out of the react reacting to the news I was giving them and I think it's those kind of kind of little snippets of the bigger picture and um how other people got through it that helped t- yeah. take you out of when you try when you get really sucked in like you say yeah when you get really in your own feelings, oh my God, I can't believe they said this to me. They must really think that I'm a terrible lawyer or they must really think this. And then it's someone just pulling you out of there. 100%. Um, and saying, no, that it's not, you know, you're just, don't, don't, don't let yourself go in that tunnel. Focus on this, you know, focus yeah. on, well, what are solutions I can present to the client that will help them get out of this situation? Was it the way that I delivered it? And it's also being self-reflective. So it's not just saying, well, the client's overly emotional. But it's also like, well, if I was ever in this situation again, how would I present the news differently or how would I approach it differently? There's a, there's a quote, but it's something about when I can't control the situation, mm. I can only control my reaction. Like, mm. you know, that's, and that's where the power is. Like, yeah. How do you react? Do you learn from the situation? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. all the things that you've just been discussing, yeah. it's all very much part of that. It's like, yeah. yeah, like how can you, like you said, how can yeah. I do this better next time? Is there a better yeah. way to do it? Yeah. And learning from it each and every time. Because I think if you leave it all just bottled up and you just, just one little comment then adds on to another incident, then adds on to someone else that says, you know, you're a rubbish lawyer or whatever, then adds on to something else. It it builds bitterness inside of you and it 
it makes you think, well, this is not my career or how could anyone ever succeed in this climate? How could anyone ever have a career, a long-term career more than five years? And, and I think that having the supportive environment like where I'm working now is, is, is showing me that, you know, people, you know, you can help people through something really emotional and have strategies to help make sure that you are safe and protected and still able to do your job as a lawyer. You know, you're not overstepping your professional boundaries and still achieving the goals for your client. Do you think that that has been the biggest challenge as a lawyer? Yes, for sure. Well, maybe just in my area of law might be different challenges that people that are doing commercial law might have. You know, there's probably less of that human the emotion yeah. side of things when it's you're a bit more trans, yeah. a bit more transactional as opposed yeah, yeah. to the human element. Yeah, yeah. When you're representing a company, it's probably less about their children and their assets. Yeah. Oh, assets. Yeah, but less about their children and you know he said that I was this or that kind of yeah retaliation. Less of that yeah. personal vendetta. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. And do you think because now you're working in a firm that is smaller? Yeah. There is that kind of tight-knit sort of community within yourselves and that support within that as opposed to working, like you said before, in the large organisation it was a bit more competitive and people were kind of just trying to get ahead kind of thing. And I think you're a bit lost because, like, lost not not just because your employee won out of a 1,000 but also I think you feel a bit lost when you see what does my career look like? Like what will my job here like, what value do I give? What is my role? You kind of think, actually, I could be very easily replaced. And I think it's the self-doubt you start to get as well in that kind of atmosphere. That you're like, well, I'm not really not that important. And I don't think my career is really going every, anywhere. I do the same thing every day. They wouldn't miss me if they had me. They wouldn't miss me if they didn't have me. That kind of yeah insecurity. But you're t- absolutely right that I think being in a smaller firm, we're all more perceptive of how everyone's going because we're all in the same, you know, we've got four offices, but most of the offices would have more than one person there at a time. So if I'm going through something difficult or I hear, you know, the solicitor um, in the office next to me going, having a really difficult conversation, I'll just check in after and say, oh, it must, you know, is this, is this the Smith file or is this the Jones file? Is that something that's, you know, what's happening? Are you okay? Like, you know, there's just check more in on each other. Yeah, there's more opportunities to check in on each other. And there's also, I think, more transfer and um, we assist each other with files more. So it's we've, we share that knowledge. Um, so if anybody in a smaller firm, if anybody's on leave, you've got other lawyers looking after the file for you. So then it's it's kind of we all help each other out and we've all got a little bit of experience in this area and a little bit of experience in that area. And you feel like supported. I think that's the most, that, that's what I'm trying to get at that, yeah. you know, if I was sick one day, some, I, I totally feel confident that not, the ball wouldn't be dropped at all. And the yeah. same with, you know, if any, anybody else was away or unwell or anything like that. Do you think that comes <clears throat> from kind of the top with the culture of the company? Cause I know, you know, you work with Jackie and Jackie's a great advocate for women yeah. um, in business as well. Mm. So do you think that's something that's kind of intentional as well within a firm? Yes. I think that from working in a few different places that the, 
the people are really the most important. I can tell you the work, this is a life lesson that my mum gave me, actually. She she worked in an office and, funny enough, worked at the same employer for like 30 years. So she never changed jobs at all and then retired the same same workplace that she started. And I always said to my, because my career is obvious, and even my education has taken lots of, I've had to move places. I was in Melbourne. Now I work in the Gamby and Wallen, so in rural Victoria. So I've changed a lot. And I asked my mom, oh, you never changed, you know, your job. Like, did you ever want, were you ever curious maybe after year 20, I don't know, that you wanted to <laughs> go somewhere else and see what was out there? And she said, she said to me, no, because she's had other clerical office jobs in Hong Kong that she's, you know, worked a couple of years at and then changed over. But she said that what she realised in her career is that it's the people that's most important. Wherever you work and in whatever industry you're at, um, the work you do would be very similar. So if you're working at a dentist at this, at this you know, clinic and you go work at a dent- as a dentist at another clinic, you're probably doing similar procedures. Yeah. Same with, you know, being a lawyer. If I'm writing a will in Melbourne and then I'm moving somewhere else, so I'm writing a will in Horsham or Geelong or Lakes Entrance, anywhere else, it's, it's similar processes. So it's the people that you work with that really matter the most. And part of that is the culture like that's, and I think that it's almost like the person at the top, like Jackie, the partner is the safeguard, the, the guardian for what the culture is. They're the ones that don't necessarily determine it, but they're the ones that are saying, okay, we're taking this in as part of our culture. Yeah. You know, do you know what I'm a hundred percent. Yeah. And that's the thing, like it can be very intentional in large mm. firms. They have big, yeah. you know, workshops on culture yeah. and blah, blah, yeah. and Yeah. And they have buzzwords and mottos. And, that's and exactly like, like They'll bring in consultants yeah. and, yeah. you know, and campaigns and all that stuff. Yeah. T-shirts. I know what you, mean. Yeah. <laughs> you can get yeah. the whole buzz, right? Yeah. But I think in a business, you know, you said around yeah. 30 employees, um, it's all by example. Like, yes. Kind of, I find with she was shy. Like people go, oh, you're the leader of she was shy. I don't know if I'm still comfortable with that term leader of anything. But I think it's just by practicing what you preach, like that mm. example sets the culture from day dot. It's like that's yep. what your, um, your yep. you know, your ethics or the way you do business or the way yep. you interact with your employees, all of those things, how how it is at the top and how it is in a day-to-day basis not like a you know a one weekend away and everyone's crazy about culture it's like every day in your business how are you acting how are you showing up and that feeds through yeah every single person within that office yeah I'd say all of the learning I've done as a lawyer has been observational I don't know if it's like that with other professions as well like when you're being a um, a registrar doctor and you're you know learning the trade or with an apprentice but a lot of it I've learned as a lawyer has been hearing and seeing how other people dealt with conflict, dealt with clients, dealt with the same problem. And you're totally right about the what where our ethical line is, where our professional line is, is set by example. It's set by, you know, me hearing more senior solicitors or partners saying, no, we don't do that here. If the client's asking us to do something, oh, can I just I've already signed this document, but can you guys bring it in and you can say you've witnessed it? And we're like, no, you're going to, you'll have to print it out again and actually bring it. Yeah, that's not how. And I think that 
then also reverberates through the wider community that you become known as a firm that's professional, that, you know, um, is reliable, that gets back to people, that gets things done, that doesn't just, you know, half-ass things. And they it, it looks like it's solved, but then you realise, oh, they actually haven't done all these other things. Like you've done the settlement, but none of the property got transferred. Or a couple of years later, you realise it's a huge tax bill because no one told you to go to your accountant or what, do you know what I mean? It's the whole, yeah. the whole service to make sure you're looked after. And over time, when every client has the same feedback, oh, we weren't let down. You know, we were, we got, we got what they said, you know, we gave us referrals to other places as well and really tried to help us with the whole situation, not just the legal situation. The more and more people that say that we delivered, you know, that we met their expectations of what they've what they wanted when they came to a law firm they're like when I come to a lawyer I expect this and we 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 gave them what they wanted that it creates that trust and that then you establish being a business that doesn't have to rely on trends in the economy or trends in because you've got people that are loyal you've got clients that come back to you not just because oh COVID's coming or COVID's just finished or you know we're in a recession or we're not in a recession. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. it survives the ups and downs of yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. It's the standards that well, you first set the standards for yourself, and then as you said, it filters through the company and the organization. Yeah. But it's because of those standards that you've got that steady stream yeah. of you know loyal yeah. um, yeah. clients and yeah. um, goodwill and yeah referrals etc really etc yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, right? Lawyers don't get a good rap all the time. So, you know, having that goodwill and having that place yeah. within the outer community yeah. is so important. And I think that the marketing has been a great thing that Jackie's really proud of at this firm, I know, because it's part of my own branding as well. And I didn't realise that, that it's part of myself as a professional, that you're not just selling. It's very rarely are you selling the firm. It's more selling that, hey, I, I provide these services why you should trust me. So I'm coming across as someone that's knowledgeable, that knows the law. And even if it's not, like I said, something, a problem that I can solve. So they come to me and say, oh, you know, I'm thinking of buying and selling a property. And I'm like, to be honest, that's not an area I work in. But because I've already had little conversations with them in the past, they know that I'm a lawyer. They know that I work with other people that are really ethical, that I'm consistently turning up to community events. It's not just like a politician when they go out and outreach <laughs> only in the one month. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first time they've seen anybody. It's the first, and it's like, vote for me, vote for me. They see us just like, you know, they might've talked about, oh, how much are wills? And then we've been able to help them with some questions or told them what the process would be. And it's like, yes, you said, building the trust. So that when I'm yeah. like, you know what, I couldn't really help you with that, but you know, I'll get my colleague. If you give me your email, I'll get my colleague to email you on Monday. Yeah, that kind of thing. 100%. And I yeah. think, when you do it in that way, it feels more organic and it doesn't actually feel like an intrusion in your personal, even if it's because you run into someone at Woolies um, and they recognise you, it doesn't feel like an intrusion in your personal life. No, no, I understand. Um, yeah, because it's you. Like that's, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing. Some people, like, yes, we try and set boundaries around things yeah. and, um, yeah. you know, around life and personal stuff and yeah. that's fine too, but we have to also accept that, especially in a service-based business, yeah. that we are we are the product. Like yes. people yes. are dealing with us. That's actually so a great way like, to say it. Yeah. yeah, we are the product. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, um, we don't have something to show. This is us. Yeah. And, you know, acknowledging that at times, yes, you might run to someone down the road and, yeah. you know, talk shop for five minutes or yeah. whatever, but that's okay because it's yeah. part of who we are. Yeah. yeah. 
and it lets clients know that we care about them as a person that we're not just like in and out thank you and then we, yeah. we don't want to we don't want to deal with them ever again it's community is probably the most the number one most important thing in a country firm when you've got and that community around you and you've built that reputation yeah yeah they're, 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 no matter what yeah. yeah the grandparents come to us and the parents come to us and the children the young adults when they turn 18 or 20 come to us to write a will and it's the generational clients yeah. that we get as well that, yeah community is probably the number one thing thank you so much for your time today Karen I have really enjoyed getting to know um, you personally but also you know your journey to where you are today um, so thank you for that and thank you for sharing with us no, thank you, Danielle. Thank you for opening up the conversation. And it was really actually an insightful and reflective process for me as well, because you asked all these questions like, oh, yeah, I didn't think of it that way. But yeah, thank you, Danielle, for just the amazing conversation. Oh, likewise. Likewise, Karen. Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Karen as much as I have. And we will see you next time on the She Will Shine podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode of the She Will Shine podcast, we invite you to check out shewillshine.com.au. She Will Shine is the essential support network you need to grow a thriving, meaningful business. We can help you grow your network, connect and develop genuine relationships, be supported and support others in building and growing a successful business on your terms. Say goodbye to working alone and become a member at shewillshine.com.au.